This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. We've been talking about what you see on the screen. My church is kind of a big deal. And it really is. And what we're hoping is that for every one of you, that this church, your church, will be a big deal. And for the right reasons. Today, last week, we talked about why we're here. Why is Christian Life Church here? Why do we exist as a church? We talked about that. We went back and dealt with not our methods, but actually our purpose. Why Jesus birthed the church on the earth. What is his dream? We talked about the dream of Jesus for his church. And today, I want us to actually get a little more into the nuts and bolts to some degree of what we mean when we talk about our vision and actually what you and I will look like when we're doing this dream of Jesus. We've titled this, Fleshing Out Our Purpose or What We Look Like When We're Doing Our Vision. I'm going to read from the book of Acts. I'm going to go uh, some portion uh, verses out of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts, which is the description or the record of the early church right after the resurrection of Jesus and God birthed the church. Uh, and this is the record of, of that birthing and also of the years that after it, the few years right after the birthing of the church, what it was actually like. And, and as we are able to look at it, I'm so glad God put it in the Bible because it gives us a visible description, a, uh, uh, a reference point to go back to. Rather than having to look around at what we see in the world, we can actually go back to how it was in the beginning with the church and see God's true intent. And so I want to read out of Acts chapter 2 there. So let everyone in Israel know, and Peter, the uh, apostle Peter, who had denied the Lord and who, you know, had that foot and mouth disease a lot. He put his foot in his mouth a lot, and all of the guys understand what I mean by that. Uh, <coughs> uh, and he is... Speaking here on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the little band of believers, 120 of them gathered together in a place called the Upper Room. They gathered for prayer, 120. You know, uh, God doesn't start with big things. He starts with small things. Uh, you know, uh, an oak tree comes from an acre, and, uh, you know, from a small seed, uh, Everything God does, He'll begin small, but He doesn't mean for it to stay small. God's purpose and plan is for it to cover the earth. Uh, and so, here, after the Holy Spirit was poured out on that day, a huge crowd of people gathered. There was, they were there by, you know, thousands and thousands because of uh, them having to come to Jerusalem for worship and for uh, the. And so here the Feast of Pentecost, all that was taking place. 
And the Holy Spirit is poured out and the people begin to wonder what's going on. So a huge crowd gathered and Peter begins to explain what has happened. And I pick up in his message, his presentation, really the, near the end of his presentation to the crowd there. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers, now here, after they were saved, after they were added to the church, after they uh, were uh, committed their lives to Christ, it says then, describing the way they were, the church went in one day from 120 members to 3,120 members. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Fleshing out our purpose or what we look like when we're doing our vision. So here we see in these verses the church in its infancy when it was just born and just freshly new out of the womb of God's heart. And this is before the traditions of men had a chance to form it into their image. Here it is actually in the image of God's heart. The church here is birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the preaching of God's word to a gathering of people. That's really critical there. Uh, those three dynamics were there. Uh, the preached word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and people. And so that's when the church was birthed out of that. But what follows is so important. Once the church was birthed, it's very critical that you and I, as the church, not just as this church, but as the church of Jesus Christ, it's critical that we understand what happened next. And the reason it's so critical, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. It's for this reason. 
And it's something you need to understand personally and something we need to understand corporately. God can begin something phenomenal, wonderful, tremendous. But if it is not followed by a commitment of the heart and actions of the people or the person, then what God started will be lost. Well, that's a powerful statement. You know, you can get, give your heart to Christ and, and become a Christian. And that can happen in a moment. Quicker than you can blink your eye, your life can be changed. But you know what has to happen after that? You've got to follow it up with a commitment of your life. And if you refuse to do that, then what happened in that moment can be lost. God did something on the day of Pentecost. The church was born, framed, formed out of a work of God. He birthed something new. But the key to it continuing is that those in the church committed their hearts and their lives to living it out. They devoted themselves. You know, and that's a choice we make individually. Nobody is going to make you devote yourself. Nobody's going to force you or can force you. You know, when you're a kid, maybe mom or dad or, or both or, or somebody made you go to church, but you know that there came a time in your life when nobody was going to make you. We make our own decisions. God created each of us as self-governing individuals. That's a wonderful thing, but it's also a scary thing because it means we have freedom of choice. That's wonderful, but what's scary is we have freedom of choice. And we can choose right or wrong. We can choose the right way or the wrong way. Now, I want you to notice there were two outcomes of their devotion. They devoted themselves. The people did. They made a commitment of themselves and they were saying, we're going to do this. We're going to commit to follow the teaching we're hearing and, and be a part of this. And what happened in that is that the church was respected by the world at large. The community respected them. I used to be a member of a group called uh, Tribe of Judah. It uh, is a motorcycle ministry, and it is made up of a lot of one percenters. And um, we would go to big motorcycle rallies like Sturgis or Daytona Bike Week and the, down at Biloxi and different things around. And um, we would go as a witness. We would go and preach. We would go and minister and uh, we would stay in a, you know, a campsite around all the other one percenters. And, and uh, <clears throat> it was uh, to be a witness. And there were other motorcycle ministries there and, that were trying to do the same thing. But there was a difference. And I'm not speaking against any. I'm just telling you what I saw. The one percenters, the Hells Angels, Diablos, and Banditos, and all of that. And they're a rough group. Stephen and I used to take my son Stephen every year to it. And, and we'd be, our tent would be uh, there in our campsite. And, and uh, uh, right next to us was 
the Hell's Angels or one of those groups like that. And their firecrackers were dynamite sticks. <laughs> Literally. I'm not exaggerating. You'd be a, you'd just about doze off, say, maybe two or three o'clock in the morning to get up, you know, had to get up at six o'clock or whenever the sun came up, you know, 5.30. And all of a sudden you'd hear this kaboom, sound like a, a, an atomic bomb just went off or something. And the first time, you know, it scared the, the life out of Stephen, who was a young buck. And, and I told him, I said, oh, it's just the Hells Angels throwing firecrackers. <laughs> just happens to be dynamite sticks. They would literally throw dynamite sticks. They'd light them and throw them. And uh, I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. It, you know, I wouldn't even repeat in church, uh, which is sad. You can't even, but, uh, but anyway, all kinds of stuff. There was, I mean, people were walking around completely nude and, and you saw all kind of vulgarity and everything. And, and, uh, but we weren't there to protect our holiness. We were there to invade darkness. And uh, they would listen to us. They were living, I mean, they just, anything that you could think would be as horrible as it gets, multiply it to infinity, and they were doing it. And yet they listened to us. And the reason they said they did, and many of them got saved, and that's really what the tribe of Judah was made up of, or is made up of, is guys that are saved out of those kind of uh, backgrounds. They would listen to us, and you know why they said they would listen to us? Because they said, You guys believe what you're saying. We watch you. You don't say one thing and do another. You're real. And they would tell us this. We don't care what you believe as long as you're committed to what you believe. We'll listen to you if you'll be committed. And the early church was committed. And because they devoted themselves, the people in the community said, we're willing to listen. I think the church needs to be aware of this. That if we want them to listen, they need to see a commitment on our parts that we really believe what we're saying, not just on Sunday, but in our lives. And then it says the second outcome is, and God added to the church daily. Do you know what that means? That means that at the very least, that church grew by 365 people a year. Of course, we know that it grew a lot more than that. But a church should grow, really, if God's will is being done, a church should grow by 365 people at least a year. God is the one who gives increase. We can do all we want to do, but in Increase comes from God. Increase is not a mystery. There is a pattern that God lays out for us in the Bible. And if we follow that pattern, we will see increase. Now that's in your own life, individually, spiritually, in every way, financially. But also as a church, corporately. If we will follow the pattern of God, then there's no question what will happen. It's not a mystery. It's a reality. I want us to look at several verses of Scripture that I believe best describe the pattern very succinctly that I see in the Bible. That God says, follow this pattern and you'll see my blessing. And these scriptures define and direct who we are at Christian Life Church. So I'm going to give you some flesh to our vision here. One of the verses is in 
Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 40, and it's what we call, or what is called, the great commandment. The great commandment. And in this, Jesus is asked a question by some religious people trying to catch him in an error. In other words, they wanted to try to catch him contradicting himself in something he had said before. So one real bright religious guy says, what is the great, what's the chief, what's the most important commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But listen what he says next. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Did you hear what the operative word was there? What was the action word? You know what we mean by operative or action? It's the thing that you can, we could do. If someone, your boss calls you in the office and says, it's a bunch of stuff, and you know your job's on the line, one of the main things you're listening is for is what he's wanting you to do. He can give a long speech, but what you need to find out, what is he wanting me to do? What is, what is my action item? What do I leave this meeting? What action items do I leave here with so I'll know what to go do? All right? And there is an action item, an action word. There is something in here. The operative word is what? Love. Jesus tells us that the entire, now listen, the entire will of God for the church is wrapped up in these two actions. Loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. And he actually drives the point even closer home by loving our neighbors. Because, you know, it's pretty easy to love someone on the other side of the world, isn't it? Uh, you can have great compassion for them, but you cannot, you can be so frustrated and, you know, get mad and can't stand your neighbor. That's okay. But Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is equal to it. Wow, isn't that something? He said it's equal to it. It's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So those are two powerful things there that Jesus lays out. And we call this the great commandment. This is the beginning point for how a church is to function. Jesus is not telling us to merely have good feelings about people or about God. You know, love is a verb, DC Talk. Love is a verb, DC Talk, a, a group that my son, Christian group my son Stephen used to love, and, and uh, they are uh, no longer uh, uh, performing, but they had a song called Love is a Verb. And the whole idea was, you can't just feel love, you've got to do something. If we love God, and if we, then we've got to love people. And if we love people, we've got to do something. If we love God, we've got to do something for Him. If we love people, we've got to do something, right? So everybody say, love is a verb. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. It is something we do. See, love is something you do. It's not something you feel. Yes, there's feeling in love, but is it, if it's not expressed in action in something we do, then it's really not love. How do we love God? How do we love God? Well, I'm going to tell you how we love God. 
by living our lives the best we know in obedience to his will. Listen, that goes right back to what the, it says about the early church there, what we read. It said that they devoted themselves first to what? The apostles' teaching, or we could say to what they were learning about the will of God in every service. As they came to the services, they were learning and they, they devoted themselves to that. The primary way that you and I demonstrate we love God, one primary way is that we do His will. We live our lives the best we know how in obedience to God's will, placing Him first in our lives. But now Jesus said that the second commandment is equally important as the first. And really the best way to show our love for God is by loving people. I know this sounds great, doesn't it? And we all want to say, amen, praise the Lord. Yes, all the religious sounding things. But you know what? It's not easy. It's not easy. I'm sure there's some people you once loved that really right now you don't really want to be around. You're not wanting them sitting right next to you going out to lunch with you after service. Isn't it something how uh, as we are, interact and interface with people in our life, they came, team, some people that are very close all of a sudden become, we become very separated. But Jesus, now listen, this is something we've got to understand. Jesus is not saying here for us to love those that we want to love. Because if we do, then we're no different from everyone else in the world. What separates us from the rest of the world. Because the world loves those they want to love. They choose who they want to love. But Jesus is saying here that we're to love all people. Not just those that look like us, act like us, talk like us, and make us feel good. But some of, even those that we don't like, they look different, they, they talk different, they live different. They rub us the wrong way. Not just those that are in our comfort zone, but those outside of it. Jesus wants us to step out into the wilderness of life and really love people. Actually, what he is wanting us to do is let God love them through us. You know, when I answered the call to ministry, God had been dealing with my heart about ministry. I didn't realize I'd already been ministering. I was out preaching on the streets. I, wasn't, I didn't call it preaching. I was just trying to tell everybody I could find about Jesus. Because I had discovered him and the change he made in my life, it was so amazing to me. Well, after a period of time, God began to deal with me about full-time ministry. And I went into it and took a step of faith. And Denise and I had no assurance of anything. We just believed it was God. And we stepped out and... We literally live by faith. I mean, when I say live by faith, I'm talking about our next meal. We had no money, no income, and, uh, but we were, I was preaching all the time in uh, different places, and, and a lot of them for free. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I was, I was so excited to be able to preach. But 
We had to live by faith, and God supernaturally provided. I'm telling you, I could stand here all day and tell you, Denise and I could tell you story after story of supernatural provision of God, what God did in our lives, and, and it was amazing. Then God dealt with me about, and I was, you know, we had nothing. We literally had zero but our clothes, and yet uh, 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 God spoke to us, and he dealt with my heart about becoming a pastor. And I told him, I said, I can't do that. I said, don't ask me to do that. And I told him, I said, because I can't love people. I mean, I love you and I love seeing them one, but to be with them all the time, I'm afraid I won't love them. And I said, I don't know that I could love them like a pastor should love them. And God said, don't worry. You know, he didn't give me a, a sermon on what's wrong with you, or you need to get your heart right, or, or I want you to pray longer. He didn't say, you need to read my word longer. You know what he said to me? He said, don't worry. Let me love them. I'll, no, he said this. He said, don't worry. I'll love them through you. And I said, you'll love them through me? He said, yes. I said, I can do that. So that's what I committed to. Well, the thing is, it's hard to... It's hard to separate the love you feel, whether it's God's love or your love for the people. And what's amazing is, we felt, I felt, Denise was a loving individual, you know. Uh, but, I mean, that's her nature. And God in me makes me that way. <laughs> we give the glory to God. But, you know what is amazing is how God put his love in us for the people, for you, for all the people, your faces, who you are, what's going on in your lives. We love you. These guys in the band and the, and the, the new people that have come into the church, like Austin there, who, uh, 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 son there, Zach, and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Brandy, uh, all these people. I love them. I love you guys. I love you. Bart, Ruthie, I love you guys. Mike and, and Brian and wherever uh, my buddy Dre is up there. I love these guys. Great guys. I love you. Paul, military right there, new in the church. I love you. And Chris and Connie, they come over and work in my yard. And Joe and Ellen and all you folks. I don't want to start naming names because here we go. But you know what? And Bob and Kathy, my, my son's mother-in-law and father-in-law, I love you. And Rosie, how faithful. So many years. I mean, we could go on and on. It's amazing. But you know what? It's not because I'm special. God won't. You know what? If we'll let God, if we'll just simply let God, He'll love people through us. But not just the ones like I have gotten to know you. But that one standing behind the counter at McDonald's or at the cash register at Walmart or the person pumping gas on the other side of the pump there at the service station from you. If you will open your hearts You'll be amazed at how God 
will suddenly begin to love people through you. And I'm telling you, there's a world that is hungry for love. Not lust. They've got plenty of that. And they're kind of getting burned out on it. But they can't get free from it. Because it's all they've known. And it's what America has traded. In place of the love of God, we've put the lust of the flesh. And we've made that what we, is our goal and our idol. But the trouble is, it's like a raging fire. It burns up everything. And leaves a burned over field where the love of God is like a soothing stream that heals and brings life back. And I'm telling you, there's a people out there that are hungry for the love of God. How would we look when we are loving people? What would we look like? Let me give you a few descriptive things. We will reach out to the hurting We'll find out where there's hurting people and reach out to them. The broken and the downtrodden. Why them? Well, because Jesus said, it's the sick, it's the hurting. It's the non-Christian, the unrighteous, the wicked that need help. We will care for the sick. We defend the defenseless. We fight Injustice and wrong. We help the poor. We feed the hungry. We shelter the homeless. We work to see that every child in our city has a chance for a better life, not just our kids. In other words, we roll up our sleeves and we get our hands dirty and we do something to make a difference. When we really love people, we can't just sit and watch and say, isn't that bad? I'm so sorry that is happening. We have to get involved. We can't be like the people standing on a sidewalk watching someone get beat up and mugged while we stand there saying, why doesn't the government send a policeman here to do something. When God is saying, people, humanity, why don't you care for one another and do something? Another scripture is in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go. These are his last words to the church. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach them to obey everything I taught you, and I am with you always. Wow. I mean, now listen, didn't Jesus make things pretty clear? Now listen, what does he say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbors, and that's just as important as loving God. And then he says, now go and make disciples. And if you'll do that, I will be with you Wherever you go. Jesus is so straightforward. And he's made it very simple. Listen to what he says. Go and make disciples. The first word is go. I love that word. It's an action word. You're doing something. We must go to those. What is he saying? Go to those. And here's what we're doing. 
Go to those who are far from God. Every one of you should know somebody far from God. If you don't, I'm going to ask you. Here's what happens. Here's the, the disease of Christians. As we are a Christian for a while, we only want Christians around us. So that we never get offended. We never get tempted. And so that everybody that else that looks at us can't misjudge us. Because we do fear the judgment of other Christians. So we want to appear good. I'm not being critical. I'm being factual. And so what happens is most Christians have no non-Christian friends. They usually invite Christian friends over for dinner. Because they don't want non-Christians in the house because a word may slip. Something may happen. Or they, somebody may see them pull up in there. Some people from the church may see some non-Christians pull up in your yard or in your driveway to have dinner with you. And of course, we're judged by our associations, aren't we? Well, here's the problem. If we want to associate with Jesus, he isn't hanging out in the church. He's hanging out where the hurting are. If Jesus came to Montgomery today and was walking the streets of Montgomery, the last place he'd go is to church. He would go to where the sinners are. He would go to those that are far from him. Because that's who he came to reach. He would, and if we said, Jesus, why don't you come in here with us? He'd say, I didn't come to reach those that are reached. I've come to reach those that are not. I would like to invite every one of you to say, God, I'm going to find somebody that is far from you and they're going to be my friend. I'm going to be a friend to them for the purpose of you using me to draw them in. You say, but what if they use bad language? So what? So what? What if they are doing wrong things? Well, I'm glad you never did. And some of you I'm so glad you still don't. Oh, we won't go there. It's glad. You know, don't worry. It won't affect your perfection. It won't desanctify you. It won't, it won't make you unclean. You say, yeah, but didn't Paul say to come out from among them, be separate? But you didn't read the rest of it. He says, when he talks about all these things, but I'm saying you can't separate yourself from the world. He said, otherwise you would have to leave it and you'd be no, of no use to God. What he was saying is don't live like them. You can walk among the, the, those that are far from God, but you don't have to live like you're far from. Every believer is an evangelist, a bearer of good news. Every person in this region, the river region, has a right to hear a clear message of Jesus. Who he is, what he did for them on the cross, I believe we owe it to every one of them.
So I want to make an announcement. I humbly, and I mean this sincerely, I humbly and respectfully give all of the Christians in the river region to the other churches in this region. I, but I want all those who are far from God, who don't care about God or His church. Those are the ones I want. Others can build churches at the gates of heaven. I'm going to build a mission at the gates of hell. I'm going to build, I want to build a roadblock in front of hell's door and say, no entrance. I want to plunder hell's strongholds and set the captives free. Next, Jesus tells us to go make disciples. We call this discipleship. In our weekend services, we teach you, like I'm endeavoring to do now, about how to be a Christian, about what it means to fulfill the will of God and what God's will is for your life. And that's good, but it is not enough. Now listen, people learn and grow best in small groups, like family. That's why God gave us family. So here at Christian Life Church, we have what we call volunteer teams, and we are, have developed or in the, and in the process of developing and rolling out Right now, small groups where you can get involved, but also where you can build relationships with other Christians and grow in Christ, but also where you can bring those who are far from God. And they, will feel, they won't mind going there. They might not care to go to church, but they can go there to someone's home. My desire, my objective is to see every person in Christian Life Church in either a volunteer team or in a small group. And if we'll do that, that's how we're going to be, a healthy church with healthy Christians. Okay, here's my final scripture. And this, that defines who we are and what we do. And it's from Jesus' prayer in John 17, where Jesus says, my prayer, listen to these words. Jesus is praying, talking to his Father. And what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, is not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus didn't pray that prayer. He gave us that prayer to pray as a, as a model, an outline, or a reference point. But there is a place in the Bible in John 17 where he actually prayed. We hear his prayer. We knew he prayed all the time, but here we get to actually listen to his prayer. And, he's, and I'm pulling out something, one verse out of that prayer because it's real critical to who we are and what we're going to do. My prayer, these are the words of Jesus. My prayer is for all who believe in me that they will be one just as you and I are one, Father, that the world may believe you sent me. You know, Jesus did not make this thing called church complicated. He prays to the Father, and he said, here's my desire for the church. He didn't say a lot of things that we describe the church as, or we hear about what church is supposed to be. You know what he said? He said, love God, love people. Go to those that are far away. Go to those that are not Christian. And make them disciples. Draw them in. And then he said this. Be one. 
be one. I call this community. We have the great commandment, the great commission, and here is the great community on earth, the church. It comes from the same word that we get communion, which literally means to share, to drink from a common cup. The beauty of it is this. It is not uniformity. It is unity and diversity. People from different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, different places, all kinds of different things. There's so much difference about us. And yet, we have something that makes us one. And His name is Jesus. CLC, Christian Life Church, listen to this, is a community of believers who are walking together in love and working together in harmony to be a reflection of Jesus and to accomplish His will. When we do that, when we look like that, God is able to do amazing things in us and through us. Things that transcend who we are individually and are far greater than anything we could ever accomplish alone. Listen to these words of Jesus. And I close with this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then the Apostle Paul says this, speaking of the church, Jesus makes the whole body, the church, fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Do you see how important this is? Do you see how important you are? You see... What we've talked about, and I've shared it as best I can. This is what we're going to do. Very simple, yet very powerful. But the only way we can do it is if we do it together. And doing it together means you. You have a part in this, and your part is extremely important. I want to pray. Father, Lord, vision really comes from you. Holy Spirit, I present this church to you, this people. I submit it to you. And I ask you, dear Jesus, birth in us and through us what you desire. Set our hearts ablaze for that which is in your heart. Let our hearts burn, O God. Let our hearts be impassioned for that which you are impassioned for. I pray, God, that you would give us one heart, one clear vision that we would together Accomplish your will and your purpose in this region. 
for the glory and honor of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I want to say this. Next week, Stephen is going to be giving the final message on my church is a kind of a big deal. And then the following week, the first Sunday in October, we're going to ask every one of you to sign up somewhere to become integrally involved in what Christian Life Church is doing. And if together we will do this, if together as one we commit ourselves to become involved and do it, then I'm telling you guys, God will do amazing things. Because when we work together for His purpose, God shows up in the midst of us. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.